This episode of Sauce Mama is brought to you by Dairy Farmers A2 Goodness Plus Prebiotic Milk. We've heard a lot about the importance of good gut bugs, but what these tiny organisms eat to survive is just as vital. They feed on prebiotics. And a super easy way to get prebiotics into your kid's diet is through the milk they drink. Containing only the A2 protein plus added prebiotics, Dairy Farmers A2 Goodness Plus Prebiotics is goodness from free-roaming, pasture-raised cows. Dairy Farmers, here's to good. We invite you to join the most exclusive, inclusive club for special needs mamas, Source Mama. Unapologetically candid, uncut and heartbreakingly real, whilst uniting, elevating and fiercely empowering. Join the greatest pride of lionesses ever to have walked the earth at saucemama.com.au or Instagram or Facebook, follow at saucemama. Hello, I'm Rachel Williams and today I'm joined by Megan Cross. Megan is mum to Molly who has a rare genetic condition called Angelman Syndrome. She's also a superwoman that took it upon herself along with another mum to create a charity that would go on to raise millions of dollars create the first and only global registry and witness some mind-blowing advances in research. Welcome, Megan. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Now, Megan, um, let's, let's go back to the start of your journey. Tell us about your beautiful daughter, Molly, and her diagnosis with Angelman syndrome. Sure. Molly is my second daughter, so I think when you've got a second child, you're often not looking as closely for progress as you have with that baby book the first time. Yes. Um, she, but she was about six months old when I really started looking at other kids her age and noticing that she was um, quite a way behind. She couldn't hold things independently in her hand and pass things. She wasn't even close to sitting. And we started a bit of a diagnostic journey I suppose from there and finally got her diagnosis when she was 13 months old. And so was that a challenging year or so for you not knowing until you finally got that diagnosis of of such a rare condition? It really was. I'd actually stumbled across Angelman syndrome in online with uh, Dr Google and um she sort of seemed to tick all the boxes, but doctors were reluctant to test her for it. They they said she didn't look like she had a genetic condition. And at that stage, testing was a little bit more difficult than it is now. And we spent, we're based in Cairns. So we spent quite a bit of time traveling to Brisbane for different testing. And what was that moment like? Can you recall when the diagnosis was delivered and was it relief or concern that this, this is what she was going to have to live with? I think it was, it was relief and a bit of a line in the sand where you could say, right, I know what I'm dealing with now. What do I need to do? Whereas when it's an unknown, you really don't know which way to turn. Yeah, right. And what, just give me a, an explanation of what a day in the life of Molly is like now. What, what does her condition actually allow her to do or perhaps limit her with? She's fairly dependent on me or or someone else for most of her daily life. She can walk independently. Um, She can feed herself, you know, not with utensils independently, but mostly I'm involved in that as well. Dressing, um, she goes to a special needs school, so she has a lot of high-level care there as well. She's 
incredibly happy and fun to be around. She's very cheeky. So, you know, all those things that she can't do, she's got a list of things she can do that's much bigger. And so that's one of the things with Angelman syndrome, isn't it? They have this really happy disposition. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sort of a, a silver lining if you want. Yeah. And so when you talk about Dr. Google, did were you amazed by how many people were in a similar situation to you going through that Angelman journey? It is a very similar story for different people as well. And I think other rare diseases and you can't blame medical professionals. You know, there's six to 8,000 different rare diseases, so they can't get their head across all of them. But for parents, I think when you're really looking and eliminating and saying, no, this doesn't fit, this fits, um, that that's where Google can be really handy. And I suppose detrimental in some cases as well. Yeah. And most people going through such a challenging time would just be, you know, and would be forgiven for dealing with their own challenges themselves. But you decided in amongst all of this to actually start a charity. What was the reason behind that? Sometimes I wonder. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it was, like I said before, you get to that point where you say, right, what do I now need to do? I have um, two beautiful girls and my youngest just needed a bit more support to get the best out of life. And and that's where we saw the direction of the charity looking into research that had happened, trying to further research and contribute to research that was already happening. So it seemed like the logical next step. I'm assuming there were challenges on the way of of starting up a charity and and working out where to get support from and and how to go about doing all of those behind the scenes things that people perhaps aren't aware of with a charity? Absolutely. Absolutely. We needed legal support for the structure. Um, We needed business support to, to set up running a charity is very like running a business or in fact it is a business and it was a a fairly steep learning curve while dealing with that learning curve of Angelman syndrome as well I suppose. Yeah and so the actual charity what was your initial goal when it was your your dream to to set it up what was the the outcome that you most wanted to achieve? We wanted to raise funds in Australia to progress Australian research into Angelman syndrome that's morphed a little bit now as most of the work's being done in the US, but I think it was just getting that footprint and getting known in Australia and having a means for other other families to raise funds to progress research. Okay, and so why is it not being done in Australia? We did fund some projects in Australia which, which were great and we're still funding Australian projects such as the, the registry which you mentioned earlier but I think they've just got that wealth of understanding in gene therapy research in the US and so many numbers. It's just really a numbers game. There's a lot more labs, a lot more researchers, a lot more pharmaceutical companies based out of the US. So I think that's why a lot of that is happening there. Okay. So tell me a bit more about this global registry. It was the first and I believe the only registry. So what does that actually involve? Yeah, that's actually one of the gaps that we did identify when we started the charity as well, that there, as with all rare diseases, there's a lack of information. So when you're reading the diagnostic criteria for Angelman syndrome, it might say 80% of kids do this, 20% of kids do that. And we sort of wanted to nail those numbers and those stats down a little bit better. And to do that, it was just collecting information. So we based the global registry on some other studies that have been done in clinics in the US. And we set up a series of modules where parents can 
join the project from their computer anywhere in the world and they can fill in the information about how their individual presents with Angelman syndrome. So then we've got a bulk of information where we can analyze um, different ages, different um, different genotypes or diff the ways people have Angelman syndrome and look for comparisons and similarities in a condition that is, is has a lot of variances, if you know what I mean. The yeah, kids, right. no two kids look the same. So having a bulk of information helps you sort of group kids in to understand what the symptoms look like. And so that will help prevent people in the future having to do the Dr. Google situation like you, will it? It'll be a, a lot clearer for people what Angelman syndrome looks like. And from things like what types of medications do kids, kids use for seizures or sleeping or how common is it that my child doesn't sleep much? When might my child decide to walk? That sort of thing. So it, it'll help people understand different processes for looking after their child and managing expectations as well. Yeah, right. And tell me a bit about then what research or trials you're funding overseas. How How is that working? So Fast Australia is part of a, a sister charity to Fast United States. So we co-contribute to some of their funding and some of their projects. But there's a, there's a lot of work being done in the US with trials. We've got, I think, 11 therapeutics in the pipeline globally, and there's four in trial at the moment. And what does that mean for the average punter out there who might not understand the intricacies sure, so, of it? Yeah, and, and it is quite difficult to understand. Um, there's a great website called Angelman Trials or Angelman Clinical Trials that you can have a look at that sort of tells you where different therapeutics are in the process so you know if they're just in the lab or if they're testing on animals if they're actually in a clinic testing on typical um, individuals or if they're in a clinic testing Angelman syndrome kids so it's quite a pipeline for something to move from the research stage to the bedside. And what are they actually tr trying to achieve? Um, Angelman syndrome is is a I suppose a relatively simple condition that it's only one gene that's affected um, and this I hope I don't nerd out too much on this and that it's easy to understand but um, the copy you have two copies of each gene and the copy on the mother's side isn't working properly and that's the one that we use so in all of us in you and I we have both copies but we don't use our dad's copy so some of the approaches is trying to reactivate the dad's copy and some is trying to reinsert the gene or the protein that, that causes this condition. And so once they can do that, does that mean children like Molly will be able to reverse the effects of Angelman? Like how will that actually work? How will it be seen in day-to-day -day life? That's certainly what we hope. That's our ultimate goal. Um, so ideally we, we help alleviate all the symptoms of Angelman syndrome but anything that can, that can help improve quality of life, we just really need to wait to see what the trials result in and how they eventuate. And I think in probably in the next 12 months, we'll have some idea of that. Yeah, right. Because I know that a lot of people have different ways of treating or trying to assist the complications with Angelman's at the moment, but this would be maybe like taking medicine or a, a drug to, to really reverse the effects by the sounds of it. That's right. It, it's There's long been a debate whether it's developmental or biochemical and it, it looks like it's 
basically the body's just missing a functional copy of the gene. So in theory, if you replace the function of that gene, which is creating a protein, then in theory, yeah, you, you stop the, the things that happen when you don't have it. Okay. So I'm really intrigued because obviously at the moment the world is talking about COVID-19 and the race is on to get a vaccine for that and there's money being thrown left, right and centre to do it. How much money and, and effort does it take to do something like you're trying to achieve through um, FAST with Angelman syndrome? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and thankfully, you know, with the US having a much larger population, they're able to to generate more fundraising as well to go into this. Um, look, most of this is raised by um, parent donations or family members. So, yeah, we, we take what we can get and we try to use it um, the most responsibly. We're talking millions and millions of dollars and yes. copious yep. amounts of hours. Yes, that is right. Wow. Is that frustrating that there's no other support other than the people that are doing the donating like you've just mentioned? It is. Um, I've come to accept that that's the way it is. I think it would have, it would be really nice to get some um, government support and recognition of rare diseases and research into rare diseases because a condition like Angelman syndrome, when you're looking at a single gene, can help sort of answers for Angelman syndrome could help unlock answers for other more complex conditions. So I think it's a real gateway condition when it's a single gene one to help progress further research into rare disease. Yeah, it sounds like a no-brainer then, doesn't it? You'd think so. <laughs> so what are the other ongoing challenges then that families um, within the AS community are facing other than you know, perhaps not having that speed and urgency of, of coming up with a solution from a, from a medical perspective? So without a doubt, I think lack of communication is an ongoing struggle for families. Um, most of the children can't speak at all, or if they can speak a few words, there's that lack of functional communication, like sentences or, or being able to request things. I think that's the biggest challenge because you take that away when you don't really have the ability to sign as well. It's really hard to get your point across and that causes a lot of function, a lot of um behavioural issues and frustrations. So that's really probably what families face most on a day-to-day -day basis. And as, as a charity or as a community, one of the challenges we face is that there are a lot of kids that we don't know about out there who probably have an incorrect diagnosis or they're undiagnosed yet. Um, and that's a challenge for us when we're trying to advocate and, and raise funds. So how how many might there be is that is that just a guesstimate or how how might people be able to get involved with you and your organization to perhaps lead to a a diagnosis of angelman well we've got now we're lucky to have um the ndis rolled out across australia so they offer some basic statistics of people accessing um, the insurance and they've got a number of around 400 for angelman syndrome and Statistically, we think there should be around 1,700. So that's a big gap. Um, what we've done early in the days of the charity and we continue to do is produce some great videos. Uh, hopefully you can share the link of the website and people can have a look at the videos and understand what Angelman syndrome looks like. There's some great clips of our kids and how they behave, that excitable demeanor that we talked about earlier. Um, I think that if someone suspects 
that their child might have Angelman syndrome, looking at the videos is a good place to start. Yeah, so if there's over a thousand kids out there that you think statistically should perhaps have a diagnosis of this, what what are, what would they be going through at the moment? Where would they be at? I'd imagine they probably fall into camps that they've either, either looked for a diagnosis for a long time and decided not to go on that journey any longer because it is a difficult one. And the other one is perhaps they've been diagnosed as cerebral palsy or autism or, or a different condition that doesn't need a genetic test. With Angelman syndrome, the first point of call, the first test that they will do won't rule it out. So it will tell you if you have it, but there's other types of it that you requ you are required to go into further testing. So if you have one test that says you don't have Angelman syndrome and you still suspect it, there, there's more tests that you can do to rule it out. Yeah, right. So it's very complicated then, isn't it? It is. Uh, and it's because there's different ways that you can have it. So they, they have different types of tests to rule it out. So tell me a, a bit more about Molly. How... What is her life expectancy? Does she have challenges that might um, limit that? We don't think so. Um, obviously, seizures is, is a big complication. The, the kids are very attracted to water, so drowning is also another um, relatively common cause of death with Angelman syndrome, or it definitely can be a concern for people. But otherwise, um, she's expected to have a normal um, lifespan. Yeah, that must be so um, amazing for you to know that. Yes, yeah, for sure. And always, though, with parents of special needs kids, with complex kids, it's knowing that um, they will outlive you that is the real challenge. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that. And so who supports you and your family? Because I'm assuming it is, it's not only, you know, time-consuming and challenging at times, but you've also got the charity and, and other commitments that you have. How do you actually get the support that you need to, to make sure you can juggle all those balls in the air? Usually I'm, I'm trying to keep them all in the air and I don't do um, downtime or looking after myself well, but it's always something I try and keep in mind that, that I need to be healthy to look after my family, to look after the charity. And um, we have a great network of, of caregivers that help through the NDIS, of course, that are like her, her second and third parents, which is lovely. We have my, my, um, my parents live locally, so they're a nice support network as well. Yeah. And what about Molly's older sister? How does she cope having a special needs child in the family? Comes and goes, I think. Um, I think she, she misses that connection that she might have with a verbal sister, but she loves her passionately and she's one of the most empathetic kids, you know, I've ever met. She's really matured beyond her years because of living with Molly. And so with the research and trials that we've spoken of that are underway, do you think that the, the grand dream is for Molly to be able to speak? That would be my dream. Absolutely. And have you thought I'd about... love to hear of what she's got to say. Like, have you thought about what her voice might sound like? What what she would actually say and, and the, the way that she would deliver her conversations. Have you dreamt of that or is that too dangerous a thing to do to it's hope? A, it's a little dangerous, but I'd be lying if I said I hadn't entertained a few of those thoughts. Um, what do you think she'd, she'd be like? Oh, she'd probably tell me she doesn't like all the health food I feed her. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really don't know. Um, 
it's 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 difficult because you don't want to invest too much in that we will get this therapeutic or a therapeutic that is everything that we want but on the other hand you keep working for it so you need to have some um, confidence in what you're doing as well yeah and so is there a time frame that the clinicians and experts in the US have given to say look within x amount of years we hope to have achieved this or is that something that they steer away from as well generally steer away from it there's a we're expecting a bulk of trials to come in in the next year or two years so i suppose we'll know if all these different approaches which ones are looking like they're going to be successful or the most successful that's about as much as we know and will molly be involved in those trials or will you just wait and see what happens we're hoping that we can attract companies to australia for the trials and that um involves you know, building our network, like I said before, and being able to say we have these specialists that work with Angelman Syndrome in Australia in all our capital cities. We've got contact with 1,500 individuals. That would be where we really need to go next. Okay. So how do we make that happen? What do we need to do? We need to, we need to keep working in the charity, keep raising funds so we can build these clinical networks. And then we need to find a way to reach out to people who who might have perhaps stopped looking for a diagnosis or people that, like I said, they might have an incorrect diagnosis. So we just really need to be raising awareness into Angelman syndrome and and connecting with people. So uh, give your organisation a plug. How can people find you? People can find us at cureangelman, so angelman.org.au and contact details are there. I'm happy to speak to anyone who thinks that their loved one or someone that they know might have Angelman, feel free to reach out on the phone and um, visit some of the resources on the website. And what advice would you give to, to people that, you know, either, you know, are going through that testing journey or have just found out that they have Angelman as a mum um, and also no doubt with the stories you've heard across the journey from people that you've been involved in with your charity, what, what are the key messages you would give them? With We have an amazing community of Angelman Syndrome families in Australia and in fact globally. And if you're, we do connect with people who are looking for those answers as well. But then when someone gets their diagnosis, they'll find an, a really supportive community of people there to help them get through their initial questions and share their share their um, their joys you know when their child starts walking or sitting or whatever that may be and help them with their challenges as well so it's not like you have to do it alone which it can often feel like when you get that early diagnosis yeah oh, well thank you so much for for everything that you've um, explained to us today megan it can be quite a, a complex challenging situation as you've mentioned with all the science behind it it is it is wonderful Look, well, um, we've appreciated your time and we desperately hope for you and, and for little Molly that one day she can say those key words that we all, all want our children to be able to say. Thanks, Rachel. That was Megan Cross talking with us today. Uh, I'm Rachel Williams. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Source Mama. If you've enjoyed this chat and want to hear more, please check out our other episodes with more coming soon. There's also plenty more inspo over at sourcemama.com.au and of course follow us on Insta and Facebook and there's that private Facebook group just for members. It's just us and your supportive community. We invite you to join the most exclusive, inclusive club of special needs mamas. Thanks for listening. 
This episode of Sauce Mama is brought to you by Dairy Farmers A2 Goodness Plus Prebiotic Milk. We've heard a lot about the importance of good gut bugs, but what these tiny organisms eat to survive is just as vital. They feed on prebiotics. And a super easy way to get prebiotics into your kids' diet is through the milk they drink. Containing only the A2 protein plus added prebiotics, Dairy Farmers A2 Goodness Plus Prebiotics is goodness from free-roaming, pasture-raised cows. Dairy Farmers, here's to good.